have been for a while now uh, uh, really focused on the Gospel of John, just in my own um, private devotional life. And, um, and so I, I, as I came to uh, this season, it seemed almost a no-brainer that I would sp- spend some time with you uh, in, in this book. And so let me just tell you that there's that part of the backstory, but then there's another, another reason. I want to take the next seven uh, weeks, including this one with you, to talk about the seven miracles that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose out of all the miracles that Jesus performed to tell us about in his gospel. Now, John's gospel is a little different than the, than the rest, and, and they're, they're all different from each other, and that's the beauty of the Bible, that when we take a look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we get a viewpoint from four different perspectives, Matthew's, Mark's, Luke's, and John's, and not to mention the fact that the Holy Spirit was guiding all of that. But we get this 360 view of the life of Jesus, and so it's gorgeous and beautiful in that regard, but um, John's gospel is a little bit set apart from the others, not better, not worse, but mm, a little more, a little different than the other three that are considered the synoptic gospels. And maybe because I'm just a little bit mm, different that I am drawn to this book more often than others. But, um, but anyway, I want for us to consider over the next few weeks what God is saying to us through these seven miracles that John chose under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record for us. I want you to imagine something with me. Um, I like to read, uh, um, you know, I do a lot of reading. I I read business, I read history, I read politics, I, I read a lot of stuff. But I also like to read novels. And one of the guys that I read a lot, I've read everything he's written, is uh, John Grisham. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not advertising for that. I don't want you to go read one of his books and report back how heathen and how hellish it is. You wouldn't find that, but anyway, I don't want that. So I'm just telling you. That's what I... But one of my favorite books that, that he has written, it's a novel. It's called The Testament. And um, there's about 100,000 words in that novel. Now... Let's say that all of us, along with a lot of other of our friends and family, so much so that we have 100,000 people, we all get together, travel to Southern California, to Pasadena, and we're about ready to go into the Rose Bowl that holds 100,000 people. And on our way in, each one of us is going to be given one of those 100,000 words. So I might have the word the, Gary, you might have the word and. You know, every one of us is going to get one word, one of those 100,000 words that comprise that, that uh, novel. We go in, we take our seats. There's microphones everywhere to record it. And on a count of three, we're all going to yell our one word all at the same time. Three, two, uh, three. Two, one, and we all shout our one word. Like that, we've recorded the whole novel. Now, if you played it back, it, we would, be, it would be incomprehensible. It would be like a second, you know, less than a second, some tenths of a second. And, but you would have heard the whole, did I say gospel? The whole novel pressed into that one moment. 
Now the reason I'm asking you to imagine this is because in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's clear as a bell that God the Father was saying, I am speaking to you through my Son. God has taken so much truth and life and um, so much of who he is, his character and personhood and plans and purposes, and compressed that all into his Son. So that when we consider Jesus, we are looking at, a, at an amazing amount of God's information to us and it takes us unpacking that and unraveling that as we read the word of God, as we read the scriptures, as we interact with the Savior, more and more of what God has been saying to us in his son is revealed. And I believe that that clearly means that when we consider these seven miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. They weren't just random acts of God's love and favor and kindness. They were purposeful. God was revealing. He was speaking to us through those things. So I want for us to take a look at these for the purpose of hearing what God was saying to us through his son in these, in these incidents. Does that sound okay? All right. Now, John chapter 2. We're going to read 11 verses here. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And we're going to find out that she wasn't probably just, or probably wasn't just a, a guest. She was probably more like a, a wedding coordinator. At least she had a stake in what was going on there, because you'll see that not only does she... Well, not only is she there, but she has information about what's going on behind the scenes, you know, in the kitchen and so forth. And she has concern about these things that a guest would not have necessarily. So she's got a, a heavy stake in this. She's not just a guest. Verse 2, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Notice there's a different role that Jesus and his disciples have while they are at this wedding. They are invited guests. Verse 3, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, to Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he, talking about Jesus, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So we're talking about a lot of fluid, right? <laughs> Potential for a lot of fluid. These pots are sitting by there because they're used in ceremonial cleansings and purifications that the Jews uh, engaged in, and so that's what their purpose was for. Jesus repurposes them and gives these uh, servants some instructions to fill them up with water, a lot of fluid. 
Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. <laughs> Think about that. You're a servant, right? Now, you have, you've never read the Bible. You don't know this is going to happen. <laughs> and you've been asked, you've been told, you've been ordered to do what this guy says. And what he says seems so silly. In fact, might even get you in trouble. Because you're going to bring to the master of the feast water and they do they take it it says verse 9 and when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was that was made wine when did that happen did it happen on the way to the master did it happen after they poured him a cup I bet it was after between the cup and his lips <laughs> but I don't know but this miracle takes place the water that was wine, and the master did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. I always love to think about that. Cause you, can you imagine the conversation that takes place back in the service quarters that night? Yeah. Whoa, did you see what happened? You know, and all that. So can you imagine? They have this delicious secret that nobody else knows. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, verse 10, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have all well drunk then the inferior you have kept the good wine until now this beginning of signs jesus did in cana of galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him this is his first recorded miracle and the first of seven that john chooses to lay before us in his gospel now i want for us to go back and just kind of consider these things in light of what God might want us to unpack of what he is saying to us through it. Does that sound okay? Sound okay? Yes. Whew, had me there for a minute. Now I want to tell you one other thing. This is about when you come to the end of your supply. When you're out of money, time, love, patience, ideas, solutions. You, f you can add to that list. When you're out, when you go to the cupboard and it's bare, when you got nothing left, when you're out of gas, that's what this is about. And every one of us knows what that's like, don't we? Including me. Ten years into my marriage, it was over. I ran out of love. We ran out of what we brought to the table. We went to the cupboard and it was bare. My wife left me. And I don't say that to insinuate she did anything wrong. It was my fault. I wouldn't have stayed with me either. <laughs> we were out. Now, let me just tell you, it's been 33 years since then, so something good happened in between, right? I'll try to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Another time in our life, we had gotten ourselves into so much unsecured debt, we thought we, there was no, never going to be any way out for us. We were out of money. 
with no prospect of ever solving that issue. I know what it's like to be out. The stuff we brought with us, insufficient to go the distance. I don't know anybody who prepared for marriage better than we did. Now there probably are people, but I don't know them. Every, I, we worked hard to make sure that we had enough to go the distance, that we were prepared to love and serve Jesus together for all of our lives, but we reached a point where that was not enough. We did everything we knew how to do to manage our money well, and yet, all that work, all that preparation, all that forethought was not enough. We ran out. We reached the end. What do you do then? God is wanting to unwrap something here for all of us in the person of Jesus and how he moves in the midst of this circumstance. We need to know. And it really all hinges on how we relate to Jesus. What is the nature of my relationship with Jesus? That's what's going to make the difference when I'm out. Is my relationship with Jesus like this? Is it that he is a guest at my party? The first relationship we see here about Jesus in this passage is that he's a guest at the party. And I would, look, I don't mean to point any fingers. I'm just saying I would guess that there are some of us that know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus that's defined as he is a guest at my party. In other words, I like the fact that I have this A-lister around in my life, you know. And it's kind of nice every once in a while to sort of turn around and say, oh yeah, Jesus is with me and that's cool, you know. And we kind of trot him out from time to time, you know, because we like to show him off, you know, that this, he's at my party, you know. How about yours? You know, that kind of thing. But it's not, that, won't, that relationship, if you define your relationship with Jesus like that, when you're out, it's not that he's insensitive, not that he, do, he doesn't love you, not that he somehow couldn't uh, make a difference in that moment, but you have defined the boundary for what he's going to be able to do. Because he's just a guest at your party. It won't work. The next relationship that we see Jesus having in this moment is another th thing that sometimes happens with us. We define our relationship with Jesus as he is a servant I command. Now we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that. We'd be afraid a lightning bolt would strike us, but we behave that way and we define our relationship with Jesus that way. We pray that way. We think that way. He ought to do this. He ought to uh, be, be, you know, be resolving this situation the way I think he should. And especially when we come to those points when we're out. That's when we get pretty uh, demanding, pretty bossy. God, you need to do this. You need to provide me with a job. You need to uh, heal this person or heal me. You need to, you, you, f you fill in the blank. You need to. 
Get on it. We get pretty intense about it, don't we? But if I define my relationship with Jesus that way, even though I have a loving Savior, and even though I have a Savior who could solve the issues for me, I have set up the nature of our relationship that won't allow that to happen because God doesn't work for me. And the things that I think are the solution to the problems, can I just tell you, they're almost never what you think they should be. Not going to work. The third relationship that we see here pictured in this story that we can have with Jesus with regard to those times when we are out is this. He is the master of my life. First, Jesus was an invited guest to the party. Then Mary wanted to make him the servant. You know, you need to fix this. We're out of wine. But then, wait a minute. You do whatever he tells you to do. And we see this transformation that makes possible the miracle that follows. Now when Jesus is the master, and by the way, <laughs> let me clue you in on something. He is whether you want him to be or not. But your welcome of his mastery, your welcome of his lordship, your welcome of his sovereignty is what's going to make the difference in those times when you are out. But be careful. Because here's a couple of things that are going to happen. He's not going to move according to your timetable. Woman, my hour has not yet come. We all, <laughs> look, we, all of us know what this is like. We think he's showing up, you know, late to the game, right? It's always going to feel that way. I don't know why exactly, but it's always going to feel, because he's the boss, he's the master. He has the whole picture in view. I only have my discomfort in view. And I want that over now. But he's got the bigger view. It isn't that he's torturing us, but he's got the bigger view. And he is the sovereign God. So it's always going to be on his timetable, not yours. And it will always involve something that seems so you doing. It's always going to involve you doing something out of sync with what it appears needs to be done. He's going to command you, as the master of your life, he's going to command you to do something that seems completely irrelevant completely out of step. You're demanding or wanting this thing to happen, get a job, and he's going to tell you to do something completely different. They need wine. Okay, go to the faucet and fill these buckets with water. It's like, ah, what? Well, you had this experience, haven't you? When, I, when Sue and I reached that point where our marriage was over and we were out, and I am, I am desperate to, to have this fixed, praying my 
literally praying my guts out, I heard the Lord say to me, now remember, she's left me. I don't know I'm even going to have a chance to do this, but he says to me, massage her neck every night. Now look, I have to admit, that didn't sound like anything relevant to my situation. <laughs> I didn't even know if I'd get the chance. But I said, okay, I'm off to fill the pots with water. I don't know what that's going to do, but okay. I did get the chance. She did come back to me. And I began to do that every night. And every night after that, and every night after that, I did that last night. <laughs> and I have 43 years of marriage to show for it. I don't know exactly why. I, I know some things. I know it taught me to have a physical relationship with my wife that wasn't sexual. That was important. I know that it taught me that it was more important for me to offer to her, to give to her, far more important than anything I might expect from her, ever. Changed the dynamic of how I approached the giving of my, and offering of myself to her. I could go on about that, but that, that's, only, that's only what I can figure out. I don't know. I just know God knew what he was doing, and when I responded to something that seems so unrelated and coupled that with a faith that allowed me to carry this water to the master of the feast, God was able to do something. When we were out of money and desperate for God to do something, I heard the Lord say to me, tithe. Now in case you don't know what that is, Tithing is giving 10% of what you make to the church. Now, I, I realize that that can sound a little weird since I'm the leader of a church and, you know, my... Anyway, but it's my story and so I'm just telling you. Now, Sue and I, we had, through our whole married life, we had been people who would have considered ourselves to be tithers, only <laughs> it was a little rough around the edges. I mean... We would excuse ourselves at the drop of a hat for why we didn't have enough money this month to tithe. We would negotiate with God. Well, God, you know, we serve, we work for you. We serve you. And so we're actually giving, might not be money, but we're actually giving in other ways too, you know. And, uh, or, you know, maybe 9% is close enough, you know. Or it's all these things that, but the Lord was saying 10%. Tithe. You know, you do this other thing too. I was, I was really good at. Is it is it net or gross? And you know, <laughs> and he was having none of that. You know, <clears throat> and it didn't make honestly. It didn't make any sense. We needed money, and he's asking us to give money away. Seemed irresponsible, honestly. But. He's the master. I'm the servant. What he says, if I do it. 
and do it with the faith that it takes to carry this water to the master of the feast, not knowing that it's going to become wine, things happen. Things happen. Things change. God is able, you know, in that story, within a, I mean, within a relatively short period of time, the whole tables of our financial life turned around. It wasn't overnight, but man, in hindsight, it feels like overnight. We got out of debt. We bought a home. We put our kids through school. Unthinkable months before. God is able to do great things, but only when we define our relationship with him appropriately. Dear ones, he's the master. This is recording number 11247 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 19, 2017. This is the first message in a series titled, Jesus. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Guest, Servant, or Master. 